Welcome to the On The Yard Podcast, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. I'm your host, Ashley Northington, and I'm here to connect you with the trends, news, and events happening across historically black and minority-serving colleges and universities. Tune in each week where we will give you a dose of HBCU leadership and culture, one episode at a time. Welcome, welcome. I am Ashley Northington, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We are so glad that you decided to listen with us. Today, we have two special guests who will share their thoughts on overcoming frozen success. We'll learn what it means how it happens, and what HBCU campuses can do to overcome it. So let's jump in. We have the absolute pleasure to speak with two individuals who are well-versed on the HBCU landscape and will share their thoughts on how these institutions can overcome frozen success. We'll hear from Steelman College of Business Dean Isaac McCoy, and St. Augustine's University Provost and Vice President of Academic Affairs, Dr. Josiah J. Sampson. Welcome to On the Yard. Welcome. Thank you for, for having yeah, me. Thank you for having us. Yes. yes, I'm so glad that both of you all are here um, today. So before we kind of jump into this topic about my favorite thing, frozen success, i like to start with a little bit of background and context. Uh, can you all take turns, Dr. Sampson, I'll start with you, to share a little bit about your background and what led you to your current role at St. Augustine's University? Thank you again, Ms. Northington, for the invitation to share. Um, as previously stated, I am Dr. Josiah J. Sampson III. I currently serve as the Provost and Vice President of Academic Affairs at St. Augustine's University. Uh, my background consists of HBCUs from before I was born. My parents uh, attended HBCUs. Uh, they both uh, went to Jackson State University. My father was the orchestra director there, so I grew up on that campus. Uh, I also had the pleasure of attending Jackson State University, uh, majoring in biology, and uh, throughout my academic career, I have also attended and, and graduated from, glad to say that, uh, Tennessee State University uh, in, in, with a master's in education, administration and supervision. Uh, went to Meharry Medical College where I did uh, my doctorate there in uh, biomedical sciences. And I have a degree in sociology from Elizabeth City State University, which, I, which I'm very glad to have gotten also. So uh, I believe in HBCUs. I have been around them all my life. All of my children have gone to HBCUs. So um, this is a favorite topic of mine. Love it. Love it. Dean McCoy, can you share a little bit about your background um, and, and what led you to Stillman College? Well, once again, thank you, uh, Ms. Northington, for the opportunity to, to talk to you and share just perspective and insights and celebrate, uh, you know, the great tradition um, and the future for HBCUs. And so for me, uh, my background isn't uh, in HBCUs, isn't as rich and uh, dynamic as uh, Dr. Samson's, uh, because I was born and raised in the Midwest, Illinois in particular, so there's no, uh, you know, formal HBCUs in Illinois, and so, um, you know, my first introduction uh, really was a different world, you know, it was the, you know, the Cosby show where you were like, ooh, all black people go to the same school, and you hear it, you know, and I was always college-bound, and so I heard it. There were these black colleges, but once again, it was always in this historical context. And then you meet older individuals, um, you know, grandparents or those that were fortunate to graduate college and they can only go to HBCU. So they talked about them, but it was always obviously in the more of the historic context, not necessarily present day. Um, and so in, in, in the region I was in, Big Ten was really, really big or you went out to the East Coast or the West Coast. And so. But then I love to watch like a different world to say, that's what college is like, right? It's all these black people that look like me and it's going to be doing these really cool things and in these fraternities and sororities. And I had the pleasure of going to the University of Illinois uh, in Champaign-Urbana. And so I'm going there and I'm like, oh, there's a 
lot of people who don't look like me. <laughs> they don't have the same vibe as the different world. And so, uh, so matriculating through that educational experience, but then knowing individuals and meeting people that went to HBCUs, their experience were just a little bit different, right? And not, and not different as in better, worse than, or even equal to, it just was different. Um, and so my career actually uh, was not in higher ed. It was, you know, I was in the private sector, worked in, uh, you know, local government, state government, as well as federal government, uh, which, uh, you know, concluded in an opportunity to work in the Obama administration. And so that's actually how I was connected to uh, one, not just higher ed, but to uh, Dr. Uh, Cynthia Ward, who is the current president, first female president of Stillman College. And so she is a, a dynamic individual, innovator, and was thinking, you know, how do you know how does she push for the great history of HBCUs in the 21st century? So she reached out and said, "Look, I need someone who thinks differently than traditional academicians, especially in the school of business and, and this tech and entrepreneurship space." So I was brought into the fold and and, uh, and been super excited since. And I'll I can keep rambling on, but like I said, I'm a non-traditional academician at at, uh, at now in HBCU, which I'm just excited to be at. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you for sharing uh, your story. I, I really appreciate it. Now, when I say the term frozen success, I know what I mean um, by that. I want you guys to tell me uh, what it is that you think of or what does the term frozen success mean to you? And I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Sampson. What does that term mean to you, frozen success? Really love the the topic and the the conversation here. Frozen success uh, to me that means that our uh, institutions, HBCUs, are still living um, on the accomplishments of yesterday. That that is our story. That you know we have that one story of of a great thing that happened, and we have been writing that one great story since it happened. Um, so, you know, regardless of all the other successes that, that may have come, you know, what, whatever uh, uh, field they may be in, it could be in academics, it could be athletics or societal uplift or, you know, just indip- individual people's success. But we, our institutions have that one thriving story and that is our story. And, and it, it, it doesn't matter if it's 1865 or 2021, that is our story. And so frozen success, there there it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, That's exactly what it means uh, uh, for me. Uh, Isaac, does it mean something different for you? You know, um, so so when I start, and you know, just even saying the title, and then as Dr. Sampson was just mentioning, um, so one, I, I know everyone doesn't make the best decisions, but I, he, he did okay. But I, I will give you a quote from the greatest fraternity uh, on uh, on this planet, which is Iota Phi Theta Fraternity. Coach, oh my goodness! One of our mottos is uh, building <laughs> building a tradition, not resting upon one. And so when I think about frozen success. I think about that motto uh, that uh, the greatest men uh, in a fraternity <laughs> have mentioned to us. And anyway, what does that mean? It said, you know, we build a tradition not resting upon one. And so, it, and when I think of frozen sets, I think of that tradition, something that meant at some point in time, over whatever period of time, it meant something, it had value, it added value to something people, a community, a society, but then it just stayed there. Uh, And its relevance to today is only in a historical context, not necessarily tangible value today. So when I think about frozen success, I think about something that has historical context, relevance, uh, and authority, but in our present day isn't really tangible. And so that's what I think about when I think about frozen success. And I'm going to let him slide with that that, that wonderful um, iota phrasing there. (laughs) All, all kudos to my my iota brother there, but um, correction duly noted: the world's greatest fraternity is, shall always be, the Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> Big root to the kids. All right, now let's continue. <laughs> okay, I love it. I love it. So when we think about frozen success, I often, you know, think about it as the terms of you know my alma mater, TSU. We always talk about Oprah. 
We always talk about Wilma Rudolph, but we don't always talk about all of the amazing, wonderful graduates who graduated within the last five years or 10 years. How do you think HBCU leaders have participated in this phenomenon or perpetuated? How and why? Why do you think that this happens on those campuses? And I'll start with you, Dean uh, McCoy. Well, you know, great one, great question. And I think one of the things um, that we have to look at is how do we value, and, like, just people, human experience, right? And so in, in, I can even take it back to when you're in K through 12. If I walked up to you and said, you know what, I want to be a bus driver. I've been dreaming about being the best bus driver I could possibly be. And I want to be a good father and a good bus driver, and I want to lead uh, the Little League baseball team. There is no one is going to come and celebrate you and say, I'm going to put this person on the refrigerator. I'm going to celebrate them at our town hall, at school. That's not what we do. But if I say I want to be a doctor, I can have straight F's. I cannot be in school, but be simply because I said I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, something that sounds sexy, uh, we get celebrated for. And so we then then we move this into the space of who do we celebrate? We celebrate those that we think deserve to be celebrated, famous individuals, celebrities, or doctors and lawyers, and we need to change the value system of how we think a great person is. So what is it that we, in by sense, think is valuable? So Oprah, great value that she adds, but there are teachers that, or there are people who come out of our institutions that are teachers, that are presidents, that are provosts, that have blessed tens of thousands of people who have created multiple levels, multipliers of Oprah. But they're not celebrated. We're only waiting till they hit a certain million or hitting certain many likes. That's not what this is the only part about our, our value, right? And then, too, I think we have to do a better job, HBC leaders, in saying that's not just where you need to look at value. We provide value in arts and culture, so, so, you know, so, uh, so, uh, uh, society, and social issues, political issues, religious issues. Uh, and there's so many ways in which we add value to our ecosystem that I need us to celebrate that equally and say Oprah is one great individual from TSU, but there are tens of thousands that have come before and after um, that are just as valuable to our ecosystem and to our, our fabric and our history. Um, and so once again, I think we have to change the value of what we think excellence is. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I think that makes a, a ton of sense. Dr. Sampson, what do you have to say about perpetuating this, how HBCUs have oh, I, I think that, you know, in your lead into the question, um, and, and certainly in, in uh, Dean McCoy's exposition there, um, it has already been laid out, you know, uh, the, the HBC, HBCU leaders uh, have participated in this phenomenon by continually touting the successes of um, the already known, you know, uh, as you mentioned, you know, Tennessee State, you're going to hear Wilma Rudolph if you don't hear anything else. Uh, Big John Merritt, if you don't hear anything else. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, if you don't hear anything else. But, you know, what about all of the engineers? What about, you know, all of the educators? What about, you know, the, the business people? Um, there are other successes but because we choose to stay with the familiar and comfortable story, we tell that story and then we become pigeonholed in that singular or those singular successes. Um, and, and so we have to get out of that pigeonhole and, and tell some other stories. You know, even if it's a, a, a failing story, um, uh, it was Alex Haley wrote Roots, you know, and he went to Elizabeth City State University at one while, but then he transferred and went to Alcorn State University. Like, there's a whole story there and not just part of one, you know. So, so when we tell the story, tell, tell the whole story or add to the story. But um, our, our leaders, um, they get pigeonholed on the same story and then... They get caught in microwave sound bites of trying to say something important right now. Um, and so let me hit with what I think will make the largest impact that everybody's already familiar with. Well, 
that doesn't add to what we're doing. That keeps us in the same place. So if we're still celebrating, you know, the same heroes, when do we acknowledge that there are other heroes? Um, and so um, we, we do that. We just fall short simply because we, we lead in with the comfortable and we get stuck in those, in those microwave bursts of sound bites that we, we're just trying to say something quick and important and recognizable. Mm-hmm. So how do we overcome that? Like, what do you think, uh, Dr. Samson, like, how do we take steps forward to get out of this space where we're only talking about these sort of stale factoids that may, may be great and wonderful and amazing, but, you know, leaves out this plethora of other history that has happened? How do you take steps to move beyond? How do you um, overcome? In order to overcome we have to do the same, the same things that now this is what does need to be replaced. We have to do the same thing that we did in order to overcome in other areas, which is intentionally put effort and energy into doing something else, into making a change, into telling the story, into standing up when, when you're expected to sit down. If we have to be intentional about spreading the news about, hey, well, you know, um, uh, uh, who? Walter Payton went to, went to Jackson State, you know, and, 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 you know, Walter Payton went to Jackson State and, and everybody should know, hey, Walter Payton, sweetness, 34, went to, went to Jackson State University. But, but what about Jimmy Smith? <laughs> and what about Jackie Slater? And we have to be intentional about telling those stories so that we don't, get stuck in that, in that same rut. You know, we, we do more things, you know, where we were created, every HBCU out there has a cornerstone of, of educating um, people of color, black people to, to, to be able to train other black people. So what about some of those other people that we have trained? Let's intentionally tell those stories. Don't, let's not wait for them to, oh, by the way, did you, no. Hey, I need you to know that the Surgeon General, you know, graduated from Meharry Medical College. You know, um, you know, uh, uh, David Satcher. You know, he 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 was at Meharry. If if we're not intentional on telling those things, then you get relegated to either the same thing or waiting for somebody else to tell your story. And if you're waiting on somebody else to tell the story. The story will always be the story that they want to tell and not the story that needs to be told. So that intentionality is, is, is a key factor for me. Mm -hmm. Dean McCoy, jump in here. What do you think? How do you overcome? Oh, oh yeah. And, I, and to, to piggyback off of uh, what Dr. Sampson said, I agree. Being intentional is, is key. Uh, one of the things I would say in, in being intentional in, in, a, in another vein um, is being an intentional about what we value. The individuals that you mentioned that are usually celebrated from our institutions, that's white people value them. And so because white people value them, we then highlight them. We need to own that back and say, this is why we value them. It does not have to be white. It does not have to be white approved. It just has to be. Keep talking about. Yep. And that's what we need to start with and say, what do we value? Why do we value? And I don't care that you don't value it the same way. And then to, to Dr. Samson's point, we're going to tell the story of why they're valuable. And if you don't believe it, watch this, read this, touch this, come visit this. They're valuable. They're making impact. But we have to start with the value system, not adopting someone else's value system and then showing them who's valuable in their system. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, you know, that I love everything you just said, and, and it makes me want to run around this room. But, you know, I think right now in this particular moment in time, HBCUs are having a moment. You can't turn on the TV, get to the Wall Street Journal without hearing something about an HBCU. NFL's, the NFL has listed its, you know, top players who graduated from HBCUs. The NBA did, uh, did the same thing. We've got all these corporations now, just now, wanting to partner with HBCU campuses. They're having a moment. 
And I think that's great. And in that moment, it might be easy to think, oh, well, we've overcome it already. We, we, this is the way we get out of frozen success. But I tell you, there's going to come a time when this flashlight that's shining on us now is going to be turned off. And so what we have to think about is like, how do we stay relevant beyond this sensationalism of today, right? And so what I want to know from you guys is what is it about this current moment that we think makes HBCUs attractive? And then how do we think HBCUs can extend the light for as long as possible so that while we're having this moment, how do we, you know, make sure it has a long tail? Either one of you can can start. Oh, you okay? Well, no. So first of all, I think that is a, a, a the million dollar question, um, you know, for just HBCUs and two, I think black community. One, I, you know, as I, we were mentioning offline, I, I do not need to see another Breonna Taylor, Laquan McDonald. I don't need to see another George Floyd, so that we can then once again say that hold on, hold on, we do have value. So I think the black community, HBCUs in particular within the black community, need to once again not only continue to talk about our history, but then talk about its re- our relevance, our value in present time. So once again, we're not forgetting history. Continue to mention all the things that we have done, but we are relevant now. And it once again is not based on your value system. I do not have to go to college to be valuable. There are individuals who are not in college that add value to our community, our religious institutions, our economic uh, uh, institutions, our political institutions, our community institutions. So how do we start celebrating our contributions, taking back media? And I'll do two things. One, it is media. The second thing is history. Um, and not in any particular order, but the first thing too, we have to make sure we're telling the right history. Um, because once again, we value what we talk about. So first of all, how do we start talking about our history and history is still being made today. So in relevant time, the second thing too, is how do we market and communicate that we have to change the perception that the vast majority of black people are ignorant or that are wayward. And when they go to school, that's when we know that they got the act right gene. No, we were acting right on birth. We just used it. We use channels to continue to enhance our value. But that does not when we start our value is not when I graduate college. It was when I was born. We're providing value right now. So how do HBCUs capsulate that and say that we're adding value and we have the data collectors, we have the storytellers. We can do this really, really well, and we can inundate uh, social media, different medium streams to show you that we're providing relevance now. The vast majority of us, overwhelming majority of us, are valuable in every space that we are in. And this is the place, and then HBCUs can now come in and say, this is the place where we continue to curate all the greatness that is existing right now. This is not a nostalgia. We're doing it right now. So you need to come to our institutions to continue your journey, to continue. And then other individuals, other stakeholders, come find us because we're doing the job of creating these continued value people. Um, and so that is one thing, if, if that makes sense. So once again, being intentional about our history, once again, past, past history, decades ago, centuries ago to present history. Once again, we have black folks making history today. So how do we continue to celebrate that in real time? And then, like I said, the media and communication, how do we then take that back? Because black people have been traumatized by media. So how do we own that again and tell a different story? And I think HBCUs can help tell a different story about our black. You know, and I know just the girl who can help uh, uh, institutions do that. I, I know her well. Uh, so uh, <laughs> so how, how do you think, what is it about this moment uh, for you, uh, Dean Sampson, that is, is relevant and, and important um, today and how do we sort of right. extend so that this tale? moment, this moment of attractiveness, um, you know, cur- I, I would definitely say that, you know, it's, it's currently fueled by, you know, uh, social awareness of all, all of the disparities that we see now, you know, the largest of which would be, you know, racial disparities. We have these things that have uh, become called to arms, if you will, uh, in, in communities across the country, across the world. Um, this, this like, hey, these things are wrong. Like, what are we going to do? We need to, we need to, we need to galvanize. We need to, we need solidarity. Like, oh, in order for us to get together, like we, hey, we could, 
there's some some all black schools out here. Like we can we can go to one of these. Like hey, um, as Dean Dean McCoy said, hey, we we've, we've been doing the job the entire time. Uh, we never stopped doing what we were doing to build communities, to build new heroes, to fight these injustices. Uh, what happened is society took its eye off of the HBCU uh, and it became focused over time just, just with all of life itself and things speeding up and, and the need to um, uh, feel like uh, I can go to this majority institution, so I will go. You know, the, the days of civil rights uh, push are, are long gone. Um, and that false sense of security that because I can go wherever, um, you know, that is the right place for me. And so these things that are happening, you know, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, and Tamir Rice and, and everybody, the list that could go on and on and on to take up this whole show. Um, but because of these things, it has made society refocus on hey, there are institutions out here that are really doing the work to, to refute some of these societal uh, negatives and also to contribute to these societal positives. Uh, and so that attractiveness, like, oh, oh, well, you know, they really do, this little school over here really does have like the best computer science program in the state. You know, not, it's not the flagship school of the, of the state, but it's this little HBCU. Oh, this, this little HBCU really does uh, have a program in international finance. I thought I would have to go to the flagship school to, to do that. No, we've been doing the work. We're still doing the work, but now because the marginalized are once again being marginalized. Now it's like, I need to run for cover. I need to seek some, some strength in numbers and is, is running people back. And then you have on the other side of that, you have those people who don't want to be associated with those societal negatives. And so let me support these little HBCUs because I don't want to be seen as one of those other kind of people that, that, is causing the disparity, you know? Um, <laughs> and so whether it be genuine or not, uh, I don't want to be looked at like that. So let me support one of these HBCUs so I can say, hey, um, I'm on their side, you know? Um, we, we just have to um, look at these incidents um, as, as factors that, you know, um, kind of refocus our attention on uh, we did more when we had less. So why don't you um, come home and, and let us build you so that you can be more equipped to deal with some of these disparities that are out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that is, is that I think about is when I look on social media um, I see lots of people that are, are talking about some of the disparities um, that you mentioned. But what I have found is that a lot of HBCU graduates are kind of like, where have you all been? What is it about HBCUs? And I'll give it to you, um, Dean McCoy. What is it about HBCUs that you think has prepared graduates of those institutions to sort of thrive in this particular moment in history? What is unique about the character that makes graduates ready today? For this, you know, just for this. Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, no. I think that is a great question. And it's interesting because I remember someone asked a similar question uh, several months ago uh, to me. And I was like, no, I didn't, I didn't go to an HBCU. I didn't grow up in one. My parents didn't go to one. So I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not uh, equipped to handle that. And then someone actually said, no, no. You work at one now. You went to, uh, you know, predominantly white institution. Um, they were like, you can actually talk about the contrast. And I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll talk about answer your question in the contrast. When I went to the University of Illinois, it was as a black man. 
in a black fraternity uh, eventually, uh, always usually predominantly hanging with, you know, people of color in my social time. Um, and once again, it took us a minute to, to get our identity. My, I, my undergrad was in the sciences. And so I was with non, mostly non-black people um, in my classes. And so we wrestled with being valued in an institution that was predominantly white. And so we're trying to figure this out. You know, can I, you know, how do I hang with black people, but then be accepted by whites? And that was always our battle every day. And I remember getting to our junior year. And at this particular time, when I was in school, we were battling the, uh, the imagery of um, our mascot, which was the chief of line that way. And when uh, people of color and were saying, hey, you know what, this is uh, uh, offensive to individuals. And obviously people of color knowing what that means, we're fighting for that. And my classmates looked and said, why does that matter? And I really realized then, I said, oh, shoot, they're not going to value me uh, the way I want them to. So I need to take my identity and get a little deeper with. And now just to pose that against our HBCUs, being at Stillman College, where these young people are walking in the door, they're celebrated for being black. They're deepened in why they are should be celebrated. Their history is talked about differently. Their classes have a have a lens and a perspective that mine didn't. And so when you're even talking about science at an HBCU, they mention the black scientists that were influenced in all of science. I didn't hear about that until I read a book on the side. My parents mentioned, oh, boy, that wasn't the first one. Let me tell you who was actually. And I'm like, really? That's not what I learned. Right. And so at our HBCUs, we're not only celebrating you for being black when you walk on campus, not when you leave the campus, when you walk on campus, you're celebrated for being black. When I was on campus, I had to be something. I had to be the president of something to be celebrated as a person, not just being black. I had to do something. And so our HBCU spaces are celebrating people for being black, but then also regurg- like telling them why you should be excited. It's not just history. It's a current relevance. And that is an empowerment that you don't see. That is a value I don't think we talk about. And so when you highlight this moment in time, the HBCU students and graduates have been primed to say, this is my time. I know why I should be celebrated. I don't need you to tell me why. I understand history. I will not listen to yours. I'm going to add something, some chapters to your book. Where folks like myself, sometimes if they didn't have the, the depth in parents or you weren't in Afro-American studies in undergrad, you're like, huh? What did you just say? Oh, let me go read that book now. Where I got 19-year-olds that are educating me and said, hold on, I just learned this in our African-American history class in at an HBCU, and they educated me. And so they are primed, and they're ready. And this time just said, guess what? Let's go. And so that, that's why I think uh, our HBC graduates are primed for this time because they've been they've been waiting for the moment for their uh, for their education, for their uh, heritage to be celebrated. And they are the best ones to carry that torch. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sampson, how about you? What, what is it about the HBCU character history tradition that sort of has primed graduates for this particular moment in history where we are grappling with not only just uh, a a pandemic, but uh, a racial reckoning all at once. What is it that makes our graduates um, ready? I definitely, definitely love everything that uh, Dean McCoy just said. Um, And I, I, I hate to sully it with my response, but I would come at, at this question um, from from the standpoint of what happened uh, in the development of the purpose of each HBCU. Um, every HBCU was was put there um, really to help us build the self esteem that really was destroyed. Um, from others, you know, whether we, we can we can attribute it to slavery, we can attribute it to Jim Crow, we can attribute it to, um, you know, uh, a lack of rights and, and lack of access and all of those things. But these HBCUs from from day one, from day one in in the process of um, or in the activity, I should say, of making bricks with no straw. Um, in the, in the activity of uh, building more with less. Uh, it wasn't always exterior uh, consideration in those things. It was how do we build 
back the person, the black being. And we, we put in or put back um, all of those things that were necessary for each individual and us collectively to be able to overcome. It's like, yeah, this may be hard, but you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. And there are others that look like you that have done it. And you might not know about them, but let me tell you this. And so the expectation is that you overcome this. And so it becomes not just me trying to do, but um, because my ancestors carry the torch when um, they weren't supposed to, and they brought it to this point and they gave it to me, not just to have, but to run it forward so that generations after me can, can continue, continue to be enlightened and warmed and, and, and then give them the responsibility to move it forward. So um, for me, we're prepared for this moment because we have been dealing with this as long as we have been black. Um, so it's, it's not a new challenge for us. It's just a new day for us. And so HBCUs, in, 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 um, they're, they're, they're building into each individual um, those things that are just necessary for, for people of color, for minorities, for black people to be able to achieve. And so what, when we get to this moment, it's like, well, how do, you, how do you deal with this racism? Well, the first thing you have to do is recognize that you are a person. And you are as good or better than everyone else. And we have those stories in, in, that are passed down in our institutions and in all of these classes, like uh, Dean McCoy just mentioned, like, hey, we've done this before and we can do it again. You know, and that is the expectation. Failure is not an option. Your job is to increase the race. And, and so right now, we're just being given the opportunity once again to exhibit what we've already been doing. It's just more people watching. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You know, I often think about, you know, my experience as an undergraduate. I transferred from another institution into uh, Tennessee State University. And when I transferred, I had to take a class. And it was maybe called something like Tennessee History, maybe. Um, I don't remember the name of the class, but everyone had to take it. But it wasn't necessarily about Tennessee history. What that class was about was how you're going to come to this campus and exhibit excellence. How you're really going to live the values of think, work, serve. It's like how you get grounded in who you are and how you get to exhibit that in a world uh, in the world, regardless of what dominant culture might say. And so I, you know, I'm answering the question that I asked. I think it's a part of that that gets you grounded and rooted in sort of who you are. And so when these instances pop up, we have these particular moments in history that we're having or experiencing right now, you're already ready because you've gotten that sense of grounding and development, you know, from the start. It's just a part of who you are. So um, I've got two more questions that I want to ask. Uh, and so the, the first one is, and I'll start with you, Dean McCoy. If you could wave a magic wand, what are like your, what's the number one thing or your top three, four things that shifts that you think HBCU campuses need to happen, need to do to make sure that they can remain relevant in ways that allow them to compete for top talent, um, whether it's students or faculty, what do they need to do to compete and, and sort of have this sense of relevance beyond this particular moment? All right. Well, you well the the, the magic word that you said is that magic wand, and so <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and go with my my wish list and and one thing. Um, that, that I would say, uh, and, and this is just overall, and, and I can even break that down in another conversation, but I would say effective and true collaborations. Um, because we have, uh, we have, you know, 
a number of institutions are, once again, they're not just the Howards, the FAMUs, the NC States, like just the large ones. Like once again, when we talk about HBCUs, the vast majority of them are smaller institutions. Some of them are even private and smaller. And so it's not, how do I grow to be Howard? It's how do I create an environment and an effective network to have the resources that are needed to support uh, faculty, staff, administrators, and students. And what does that look like? It does not have to look like a 20,000 student um, enrollment. Um, what it has to have is I need the access and the resources that a John Hopkins has, that a Harvard has, that a Howard has. How do we now build those resources? And so effective collaborations is not just, oh, I know the president. Oh, I've been on that campus. I sat on a panel. It's how do we now share these resources? And so if I have an innovation lab, how do I make sure um, Jackson State is connected to it? How is St. Augustine or Stillman connected to it? What are they bringing to that table? Or if it's just in a, in a degree program, hey, engineering is over at this particular school. We may not have engineering. You may not have to go transfer to the school. But how do you be at Stillman but still get access to a different, uh, you know, economic, uh, academic experience at another institution? Or if it's a financial piece or if it's a fundraising opportunity, how do we collectively build an ecosystem that shares resources in real time that benefits administrators, staff, faculty, and students? And so that's the first thing is real collective collaborations. And I, and I I want to couch this because I want to, uh, the, the, the folks of color that to hear this, this is the difference in open your books, right? Like when we talk about collaboration, it's like the old school. Don't ask your mama, your daddy, no black man or no black woman about their finances. We don't talk about it in the church. We don't talk about it in the organizations. Effective collaboration means you need to open up all of it. This is transparency. This is authenticity. So my collaboration is not just on paper. It's not just a grant. I'm talking, I need you to understand what is where the skeletons hide, where is the cobwebs. So we can then say, oh, well, you have some cobwebs a little higher than your broom reaches, but I got that 30 foot broom. So we need to know that. So I, I emphasize that because that is something that our culture doesn't do. We'll celebrate each other on our resumes, but we ain't telling each other that we're going through something. And so our institutions are no different. We are struggling. A lot of our institutions are struggling, but ain't talking about that. And so, um, so anyway, so effective collaboration is one. And, and then the other is, once again, assets. How do we have assets? Uh, assets being, you know, the resources that you need to support faculty. Because once again, if we're going to talk about thought leadership and, and progressiveness, before we get to students, we want to attract individuals who want to be a thought leader in their discipline. And they need the resources and the assets to continue to do that. Um, and then as they're celebrated, as they're highlighted, as they're excited about their discipline, they're able to communicate this to the students. Um, and then the students are excited because they're saying, hey, this person is excited about their discipline because they're invested in. So if you're investing in faculty and you're investing in staff, um, once again, then you can make it this investment in, in the students. And so uh, so that's another part is having the assets and resources to make the investment in our faculty um, so that they can highlight the great work in their space and in their industry uh, so students can be attracted uh, you know, to some of that work. Um, and then on another part, and I'll just do this one because I can, once again, ramble on about, especially when you talk about magic wand. The third <laughs> thing would be to how do we innovate the experience for our students? This is no longer, I got something that you want, you pay for it and you get this magic key to go use somewhere in a door that doesn't exist. I need us to change the way in which we engage our students. This is not just an academic exercise or experience. This is a life experience. And so how do we now take four years of life experience and not just give them a degree? give them a understanding of how our world works, how technology is integrated in all our decisions, a competency that then can be monetized in our world today. And I think that is an intentional design that we have to fundamentally change in higher ed in particular, but in, uh, in HBCUs, we can do that. We're nimble enough to do so. And so how do we create an experience for our quote unquote customers, our scholars, students, that is not just what traditionally has been when we went to school and just got a degree, but they should know a lot more about our world, how to navigate it and be more multidisciplined uh, than even we were. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good, good stuff, good stuff. So, so Dr. Sampson, I'm gonna bring it to you. What are, if you could wave a magic wand, what are the shifts that you think HBCU campuses should make that are 
help them become relevant or remain relevant beyond this particular moment um, in time? Great question. And I, I agree with uh, Dean McCoy um, wholeheartedly. Uh, uh, I would first have to say that um, HBCUs are relevant. Um, the thing, the, the yes. thing is most people don't know it. And so I have to go back to we have to be intentional about telling people what we're doing. What are our successes? Uh, relevance is, is based on, hey, what is your impact on my situation? Um, but when we start telling people about the products that we create, that is the impact right there. Um, we're creating tomorrow's teachers and scientists and, and doctors and, and politicians. We're creating those every day. That is, that is direct impact. If we need to bring it home closer, we can look at each city in which an HBCU resides and talk about the economic impact in that city and that state. That's, that's, that's relevance uh, that, that gets people's attention. When you start talking about um, you know, hey, it's about $30 million worth of economic impact every year from a little old Steelman College in, in Alabama. Um, that gets people's attention. Now, not only do we have that economic impact in your state, um, but we're creating uh, leaders that will be in your state. So, hey, your teachers, you know, for that teacher shortage you got, you know, you, you need you need more nurses, you need more physicians, you need more researchers. We're making those and those and they're filling the spaces to get the jobs done. Um, you didn't know it uh, 10 years ago or you you weren't paying attention to it. So now capitalizing on the fact that everybody has to pay attention to the fact that the vice president went to a, a, a little old Howard University. You know, um, we have um, all of these people who are major players in the right now moment that have come from HBCU. So you need to pay attention to what we're putting out there because, hey, um, you know, Georgia turned blue based on this young lady that went to Spelman College. Um, hey, so you, you need to pay attention to our products. You need to pay attention to the, the impact that we're having on society, on this country in more ways than one. And, and the next thing that I would love to see HBCUs to do to increase that, that awareness and to perpetuate how relevant we really are is I would love to see more HBCUs collaborate like Dean McCoy was saying, but collaborate with each other. You know, we have been in this space yes. where, okay, we have to, you know, partner with this, this large PWI in order to get this grant. But guess what? We can partner with each other. Um, why do I need to, to cross the street when my neighbor is doing what I need them to do. I just need to get with them. Uh, so when we work together, that increases our stature. You know, we're doing great um, uh, individually, but, you know, like, like the song says, you know, hey, um, I'm, I'm fantastic by myself, but I'm even better when we're together. You know, so, so when we get together, and we start telling our story and we start making sure people know about the impact that we're having economically, that we're having in terms of uh, the leaders and the movers and shakers of tomorrow. Um, tell the story, tell the story, tell the story, because the facts will, will speak for themselves once we put the facts out there. Mm -hmm. I love that. I appreciate everything that you all have said. I, I especially appreciate, I guess it's an occupational hazard that I am enjoying that you all are talking about intentionality in your storytelling and increasing awareness in ways that help bring relevance to relationships. I, I love everything that you guys have said. So my very last question um, for you both is, and either one of you can take a stab at it first. So we'll, we'll see which one of you is quick enough to answer first. Uh, 
And that is, what is the one thing you wish people knew about HBCUs? One thing? One thing. One thing that you wish more people knew. That HBCUs are not solely comprised of black people. They are not solely for black people. There are plenty of non-black people that attend HBCUs and go on to have successful and impactful careers. But um, for some reason, I think that some people are uh, timid at the least and fearful at the most that um, it's, it's just a bunch of black people. No, there, there is every demographic <laughs> that is served by the HBCU. The, the, the thing about the HBCU that makes it what it is, is the fact of the H. It was historically like that. It has been like that. It was created for a purpose. But we, as black people, have never been an exclusive people. We have always been inclusive. So we have others that come and take advantage. Uh, uh, there are a number of meteorologists that have graduated from Jackson State University and are on television on various networks, um, and all of them don't look like me. So, you know, <laughs> that, that is one thing that I think would, uh, that needs to be touted also. Hey, um, it's not just for people that look like me, it's for people. And if you want to be successful and you want to have built into you what is built into me, come get some. I love that. Come get some. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. HBCUs are definitely relevant uh, uh, in the past, uh, in the present, and certainly will be in the future. So I appreciate both of you coming on today to talk about how we overcome frozen success. Um, and, and apparently the word for me is intentionality with uh, storytelling. I think that is so critical and key. Um, I appreciate both of your insights. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with us. And thank you all for tuning in. Tune in next week uh, for another episode of On the Yard. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of On the Yard, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. R.W. Jones is the nation's only strategic communications and issues management firm explicitly focused on higher education, serving more than 50 colleges and universities nationwide. Check back for next week's episode of On the Yard, where we'll give you another dose of HBCU leadership and culture.